Hello and welcome to Hot Girls with me, Lex on the Decks. This episode, we are going to be taking a look at the icon that is Lil Kim, the first and original Lil of the rap world, which at under five foot was well justified. A rapper who had three back-to-back platinum-selling albums and was the first female rapper to have three consecutive number ones. It was a real joy for me to learn about Kim because I didn't go off on her. I think I was about 12 when Lighters Up was first released, Um, so it's been a real discovery process for me and I can confidently say... I love Kim. I think she's very real. I think she's been very important for the industry. But I also think she's misunderstood, and particularly for anyone who was too young to appreciate her when she was really dominating. Hopefully this will be a a lesson in why she is the icon that many of us know her to be. So sit back, relax, and let's go. Ladies, listen up. You're listening to Hot Girls. With Lex on the deck. We in the mix. It's fire. Keep it going. We on fire. From London for the world. Let's go in. On a summer's day, right in the middle of the 1970s, Kimberly Jones was born in Brooklyn. She was the second child of Linwood Jones, a former US Marine, and Ruby, his wife. Her parents divorced when she was nine after having, by the sounds of it, quite a violent and tempestuous relationship. Kim initially lived with her mum, who was staying with friends, but because she was kind of like begging favours trying to settle herself, she eventually gave custody to their father. She says that, like, at points she was living out of a car, so couldn't really bring up uh, Kim and her brother. Um, So they moved back into Brooklyn with her dad. Kim and her dad had a good relationship until she hit puberty. And then as she evolved to become more of a woman, it fell apart. The situation became violent. And at the age of 14, she packed a bag and she left to the streets, wandering in and out of neighbors' homes. So things not great for Kim at that point. And they continued that way with her just really just trying to survive until she was 17. She had this idea of becoming a psychiatrist, but obviously didn't have the education as she kept skipping school Although, fun fact, the school she completed her last years of high school was actually the same school that Nas and Foxy Brown went to. But yeah, academia, not really a thing for Lil' Kim. She needed stability from somewhere, having spent most of her teens just kind of roaming. And she met this guy in Brooklyn. On the surface, maybe not what you traditionally think of as stability. Uh, He was 19, so a couple of years older than her. He was six foot three, 300 pounds and a drug dealer who had already done nine months in jail at that point. Despite this, he was very ambitious and he saw some hunger in Kim, which led him to invite her into his crew. That guy was Christopher Wallace, otherwise known as Biggie or B.I.G. Notorious. Often considered the best rapper of all time. Definitely one with one one of the greatest legacies. Personally, I'm Tupac, but I I know I'm, I'm outnumbered there. In Biggie's crew was someone named Sean Coombs, now better known as Diddy. And these were the guys that helped Kimberly Jones get off the street. So Big was forming a rap group who were called Junior Mafia. The Mafia part is an acronym for Masters at Finding Intelligent Attitudes. So I'm going to take from that, that when Biggie met Kim, it was her attitude that made him want to bring her in. Because it's not like she was um, barring loads at that point. That group was, I think, eight guys and one woman who, at just under five foot tall, like genuinely tiny, adopted the name Lil' Kim. They were a group which sat under Biggie and Diddy, but those artists weren't the face of the group. Though Biggie did write a lot of the verses... 
the way the group worked was that they would send a beat out and then the best verses got picked to be on the compilation song. Kim was the only woman in the group and she got on the records basically because her verses were the best. I was just supposed to be the little cute girl standing there making all the fellas look good. They never, ever thought that I would be the breakout star. Their album, Conspiracy, was released in 1995, debuting at number eight on the US Billboard chart. And Kim's popularity basically started rising then in association with this group. B.I.G. featured on four of the album's tracks, and Kim had also worked on tracks just with Biggie, including Get Money, which had the winning hook, Fuck bitches, get money. We'll talk about Kim's brand of feminism later. That popularity led to her signing a solo deal with Atlantic Records a year later and the release of her debut album, Hardcore, in November 1996. The album debuted at number 11 on the Billboard 200, which shows the following she'd built stayed with her. That popularity led to her signing a solo deal with Atlantic Records a year later and the release of her debut album, Hardcore, in November 1996. The album debuted at number 11 on the Billboard chart, which shows the following she'd built had stayed with her they were interested in in her music the biggest single from that album was called no time and it was a duet with diddy uh it got to the top of the rap chart and it was certified gold so she then off the back of that went on to tour alongside diddy in 1997 on what would be one of the highest gracing hip-hop tours of all time get money in the same year as that tour biggie was shot so there is no collective doubt that kim was in love with biggie and that affection was mutual. He actually did discover her and help craft her. So despite the career highs of, of 1997 for Kim, I guess overall, probably not a year that she looks back on fondly. It took Kim four years to then release her second album, which was held up for a few reasons. Um, There were label conflicts and also her own creative process and development. However, because she created such a strong brand off the back of Junior Mafia um, and her solo work, she was still making serious dough through this period, through marketing deals and endorsements. Um, So she was still very present, even if she wasn't actually releasing music. Then in June 2000, Lil' Kim released her second album, the notorious K.I.M., working closely with her gals, Missy Elliott and Mary J. Blige. This is the album that, like, if you want to really understand Kim, go and listen to this album. It brought No Matter What They Say and How Many Licks, which are both, like, absolute bangers. They didn't chart that highly as singles, but I think if they were released now, they 100% would do. Because obviously hip-hop now is popular music. When Kim was releasing, it was more, I guess, like... It wasn't as mainstream. This album and that period of time for me is definitely like Kim's golden age because she's all the things she's famous for. You know, she's like naked and dancing. (laughs) Um, The lyrics are like dirty and flirty, but they're also really witty and clever. So I feel like it's this evolution of her because I think when she first started out, I didn't actually talk about it too much, but a big part of, or part of what made her stand out was her lyrics were like filthy and people didn't expect that from you know, a woman, because they just expected them to be like, oh, like all cutesy. And she was not. She was like spitting filth. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this was kind of an evolution of that, like taking some of that, but also um, but also evolving. I love it. It's the kind of music that makes you want to hit the club as well. And also just be an independent female, um, which brings me on to Is Little Kim a Feminist? 
Yeah, she would definitely say she was. And you know what? She she really was like a woman dominating in a man's world where she wasn't like no one expected her to dominate. And she inspired so many other female rappers to step up their game. Personally, I think she definitely was a good thing for women in general. But at the same time, I don't ever like the idea of women being like one-dimensionalized, if that's a word. And I do think that the that Kim's success did that to an extent because she was still like super sexy and like dancey and that kind of thing. And so like when you look at like they would hate they would hate to think of themselves this way but if you look at the artists who are really like you look at like a Nikki and a Cardi and you know it's like they're following the same mold of being like hyper sexy dancing around kind of rappers the challenge of today is to make sure that all women in hip-hop get coverage and get their singles bought regardless of whether they twerk <laughs> um and I kind of feel like Kim showed women how to make it in the industry as a rapper but then the big stars of today have followed that formula so you know, Missy, Left Eye, Queen Atifah. As a collective, they were all bought different things. You shouldn't have to present overt sex appeal to make it in rap. Just a little rant there. Anyway, in 2001, she featured on the Missy Elliott produced Lady Marmalade, which was one of the biggest selling singles of the year, if not the biggest, might have been the biggest. And then in March in 2003, she released her third studio album, La Bella Mafia which was certified platinum. Uh, and this was the album that brought the Timberland-produced single, The Jump Off. Yo, Tim, man, this is The Jump... I'm sorry, I'll stop singing. In 2003, she also did a verse on Christina Aguilera's iconic Can't Hold Us Down. Such a good song. Around this time, she used to have a personal guru who would look after her energy and spirit and he would cost a grand a session. So she ballin'. So Kim was great. I wouldn't say she was going from strength to strength at this point because I think her second album, I mean, I've, I've probably said it enough, but it was probably the most powerful she was. But she was in a really good position of continued following and good, like solid releases. And then something really shitty happened. Something not just shitty for Kim and her career, but for rap music and in particular women in hip hop. Lil Kim went to jail. She was convicted for lying to a jury about her and her friend's involvement in a 2001 shooting, which took place outside a studio in Manhattan. During the trial of her co-manager, uh, D-Rock, and her bodyguard, or her bodyguard had been a member of Junior Mafia, sorry, she had claimed not to have known they were at the scene, but video footage was later found showing all three of them were at the scene. Um, so Kim went to, a jail, went to jail for a year for that. Um, during which time she was locked up with Remy Ma and Foxy Brown, three of the greatest rappers in the exact same jail at the same time. It's like New York said, no more women in rap. <laughs> um and they left a huge vacuum. As individuals, they would have left a vacuum, but collectively, it was like... <laughs> so if you're in rap, please don't go to jail. Her fourth album was released when she was behind bars. And this was the album that delivered probably the song most people know um, or associate with Kim today. And that was Light Us Up. What an iconic song. It's a real love letter to New York, particularly Brooklyn, where she grew up. It was produced by Scott Storch, who in that year, 2005, also produced Run It and Candy Shop. So a good year for him as well. But the record lighters up. It's also like I spoke about the evolution of Kim and this this is that at its, at its best, I think, at its highest height. When Kim talks about Lil' Kim, she's very specific about disassociating between the character Lil' Kim. She says, Lil' Kim is what I used to get money, a character I used to sell my records, and Kimberly Jones. And I think Light Us Up is where these people meet. 
Also, shout out Mary J. Blige, who is by her side, still dancing in the video. So yeah, that that was released in September, but she'd been sentenced in June. So um, she couldn't properly then promote that album. It's still soul because the music was good, but you know, you have to promote to, to get people to hear your records. And after jail, Kim obviously did continue making music, but she left Atlantic Records and she went independent. So severing from the big label, obviously creatively and lifestyle wise, you get more freedom, but you also lose the marketing support. And that's generally when the rest of the world kind of like you don't have so many eyes on you because you aren't shoved down their throats all the time. Since going independent, which was over 10 years ago now, Kim has still released quite a bit of music. The best stuff, I think, is actually the more recent stuff. In 2017, she released Took Us a Break, which is pretty catchy and also um, lyrically makes sense. And it's also got this like grit, like Kim has this grit when she raps, when she sings, it's like deeper. Um, there's an authority to it. And I really, I really like that. She also featured on Wake Me Up by Remy Ma. So it was nice to see those two icons working together and supporting one another. Kim also released Nasty One, which was remixed by Steph London, Hood Celebrity and Sean Paul. I actually think her, her original is better than the remix. It's more singing than rapping and it's quite danceful inspired pop, but it's a good song. So I'm hoping that Kim's going to keep making music and pushing in that space. There are two things I think Kim has been a victim of that really fucked me off. <laughs> and I want people to be aware of them so as not to be affected by them because I think if you accept them, they can be a real thing, but you don't have to accept them. And they are ageism and colorism. I don't want people to look at Kim now and think, eh? I want them to recognize what she created and that so many people coming up now have a lot to be grateful to her for. You know, she's, she's still this beautiful, exuberant woman, but she did have quite a lot of surgery and I think she looks so different and we live in such a visual world that when you look at an artist and you don't you don't see so much of who she was the other thing which kind of connects to that is she obviously had a bit of beef with Nicki Minaj and I know I was really team Nicki because I thought that Kim needed to get over it she was just bitter because Nicki had like taken her crown or whatever and like you need to just accept that people will come up um, but actually when I looked at, when I, when I kind of like really dug into it, I do think that Nikki did not pay enough homage to Kim. She was the, the first star of rap. It has always been male dominated. And for Nikki to not kind of really put Kim on the, Nikki could have put her on more of a pedestal. And I think that Nikki didn't because she wanted to be seen as Nikki Minaj and she already knew that people were going to compare her to Kim. So I get that. Sometimes if you, you know, I think everybody wants to be known as them. They don't want to be known as like the next. So I totally get that. But at the same time, I think looking back at what Lil Kim actually built and who she was, like a true legend and deserves a ton more respect than maybe she gets. There was something Missy Elliott said, which I think is an important lesson. And that is you can be respected forever, but you won't always be hot. And so maybe that's an important lesson for everyone working in entertainment. Don't take being the hot thing too seriously because it can't last. Just accept that if you make good music, you will be respected. I respect Kim <laughs> a lot. Steph London um, also paid homage to her on the cover of her album. She literally mimicked it, but in, in the most kind of deliberate way, just to say thank you. I'm such a complex girl. I'm made up of a, a certain gangster that can't be copied from Brooklyn. And then I'm made up of a certain sexy sophisticatedness that cannot be duplicated. I'm, I'm, I'm a complex person. Like, I know that I have these different sizes. Okay, so lessons from Kim. The first is believe in yourself. There was nothing about Lil Kim's start in life that would make you think she was going to be 
the person that she became. And also when she was in those early junior mafia days, no one expected her verses to be the best. She believed in herself and she made them the best. Like she crafted, she worked, she made sure that she could stand by her craft. So yeah, believe in yourself. Sex and little Kim. She was obviously so attached to it. And I think the way that she did that was by creating this character. I'm just going to read a quote from Violetta, Violetta Wallace, who was Biggie's mum. She said, Kim needs to ask herself what she's selling. When my son was here, that's all you would hear Kim and Christopher saying. Sex sells, sex sells. But when you look at Kim, the strength is there, the beauty is there, the talent is there. And she needs to let the world know they need to see a human being. She needs to find her inner self and see what she has to offer. <sighs> Maybe that's not a lesson from little Kim. Maybe that's a lesson for Kim from Biggie's mum. Lesson three, make sure your music is relatable. A quote from Kim, she says, when people relate to your music, it makes you feel like I did my job. I did good. So that was a priority for her, making sure people could relate to her music. And I think when you are honest, then your music becomes relatable. Another one, know your identity, know who you are as a person and who you are as an entertainer and be comfortable with the difference between those two things. Another lesson from Lil Kim is focus on the music because that's what's left. <laughs> she waited four years to bring out her second album and that was so worth it. So I think four years would feel like such a long time if you were working in music and you hadn't put anything out. But it's so much better to wait if you can, obviously if you can find ways to make money in that period of time. It's much better to wait because once you've released something in your world, then that, I'm, it's like, what, 15 years later and I'm discovering this music now and listening to it and it's not obviously just me, like lots of people will be doing the same thing. So what you make will last. So take that time. And my final lesson from Lil' Kim is hustle. She was really hungry. After a little bit of success, she had that whatever it takes attitude and she found ways to be confident in spaces that maybe she wouldn't have been confident and just chase, chase, chase things. Um, Lil' Kim taught so many people what was possible being a woman in rap. It was a massive shame that when she went to jail, there was this like huge void for a period of time created by, as I said, herself, Foxy Brown, Remy Ma. Also a similar time, Lisa Left Eye Lopez was tragically killed, who was another big MC at the time. So I'm glad that that vacuum is now coming back. But props to Kim, who kicked it off. Lil' Kim, Kimberly Jones, um, thank you very much for everything you have given the world and the industry and everything you keep giving the world and industry. I will always listen and look out for your releases because they continue to be good. You know what you're doing. You're a legend. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the show this week. Uh, next up, we have a guest episode. And then the week after, we're going to be talking Gwen Stefani. Stay happy, stay healthy. What Eyes on the prize, if no surprise, good women were destined to rise. Inspiring, celebrating, uplifting the new generation. Some hot girls, you know the vibe. All the hot girls come alive.